Good afternoon, everybody. The H1B guy here. And today, the H1B guy live, February 16th, 2022. Today, I'm going to cover immigrant protests that were held on Monday. A quick discussion around the March 2022 visa bulletin, which was released first thing this morning, as well as taking your questions and comments. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. You can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, and by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. Well, another week and we are back on our Wednesday um, at 2 p.m. Eastern uh, live stream. I wanna thank everyone who continues to join these live streams. I uh, really appreciate you all taking the time out of your afternoon to, to jump in, or if you're watching or listening to this at a future date, um, just really continue to appreciate your support. Uh, we are now another week closer to the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2023. Of course, that portal opens up on March 1st. We've covered that a good bit. We're not going to really talk too much about H-1B lottery other than questions that you maybe have. Um, but just as a quick reminder, March 1st through March 18th, um, and it's looking like the filing period, again, would be April 1st uh, through June 30th. Um, but I wanted to talk about uh, a, a topic that I haven't really had a chance to cover. Um, but this past Monday on Valentine's Day here in the U.S., um, there was a very grassroots movement um, that, that began, I believe, about a month ago. And... Um, you know, started on social media and it was a, a, a really a pretty well organized effort that, that took off pretty quickly um, and combined really all of the immigrants currently in the U.S. whose, whose status is uncertain. Um, and what it led to was a day of protests and the hashtag day without immigrants um, really kind of took on a, a life of its own. Uh, I saw some of the photos from some of these rallies, including rallies in Washington, D.C. and San Francisco, uh, as well as Chicago. Um, I believe I saw folks in Dallas and Atlanta. Uh, so, again, a, a very organized effort. Um, you know, again, one of the things that I've talked about when we've talked about advocacy over and over um, is that there's power in money, power in dollars, right? and that there's power in numbers. And to have an organized effort like this kind of gain the traction that it did, there was a fair amount of, of media coverage around it. Uh, so it was something for me that I uh, was really proud to see the, the movement that, that happened. 
um, and that this is kind of the beginning of a combination of efforts for uh, undocumented and documented. Um, and again, high-skilled immigrants whose whose status continues to be uncertain. Those in the green card backlog that are that are advocating for change. Um, so I wanted to just take a few minutes and acknowledge the efforts that went into um, a day without immigrants, uh, the organization around those efforts, and to all of you who decided to take off a day um, in protest of of your status here in the U.S. Uh, you know, I support you in that. Uh, endeavor, and I wanted to come out and publicly speak on it. Um, but I will say this, you know, the thing that I've learned over uh, the last few years is that time just continues to move forward, and we have to take a stand, and we have to protest what we believe is 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 not right and unjust, and what a great um, representation that, that took place on Capitol Hill, uh, a very large rally that I saw in San Francisco. Um, again, why? You've got a, a very large immigrant community and population uh, in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, so good to see those individuals with, uh, with their, their numbers get out um, and, and show their support for a day without immigrants. So I uh, just wanted to briefly talk about that. Um, Earlier today, as, as I tweeted out, um, you know, just like that, the, the March 2022 Visa Bulletin uh, was posted. I, I was expecting it actually to post yesterday. Um, I thought the 15th would be a, a time where we would see uh, USCIS and, and Department of State kind of come together on uh, that, that particular release. Um, Another thing that uh, I think was was really interesting, if you you look down at the bottom, there's a there's a lot of verbiage uh, in the bulletin. Uh, but before we jump into kind of the EB two conversations and and the EB three movement, um, one of the things that that a lot of you keep asking me about, and I wanted to kind of put it out there, and and this is something that's a little bit challenging for me because I'll be working on the H one B guy grades uh, later tonight. Um, and hopefully be able to, to produce that content and push it out uh, by tomorrow. Um, but a lot of you have been asking me about, you know, my thoughts on predictions around final action dates and dates of filing. Um, the issue with that is that USCIS doesn't announce that um, until after the visa bulletin is posted. And I may not be able to put out the H-1B guy grades in, in kind of the manner that, that I would like to. I, I guess I could always update it sort of after the fact. So I've been kind of thinking through that. Um, but the thing that stood out to me most, and we talked about this a little bit last month in the H-1B guy grades for, for February, um, and, and that was where literally there was some conversations around retrogression and the visa bulletin actually alluded to El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. It also mentioned Mexico. Um, so I think that was a little bit of a foreshadowing of, of what we saw here in the March bulletin. Um, in case you didn't know, but I will inform you now, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras in EB4 for final action retrogressed 683 days. And then dates of filing for El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras in EB4 uh, retrogressed 699 days per my calculation. You know, this retrogression was, was previously alluded to, 
Um, however, there wasn't any movement for EB4 for Mexico, which was also mentioned. So I think that if I'm kind of reading between the lines here, we could possibly see some some foreshadowing as we move into um, looking at April's bulletin for Mexico and EB4 based on the numbers, based on the demand. Um, so we continue to see a, a lot of demand here in EB4, which had some some pretty consistent movement over the last year, year and a half. Um, but when we start to see the term corrective action, uh, you know, it is something that that we have to take notice of. And, and they addressed it at the bottom of the bulletin um, where they they said that, you know, a point blank, um, the the retrogression for El Salvador, Guatemala and Honduras in EB4 uh, became necessary in order to hold worldwide number use within the maximum allowed under the fiscal year 2022 annual limits uh, result of heavy applicant demand. Um, and so, you know, we start to see, OK, the situation is going to be continually monitored and any necessary adjustments will be made accordingly. Um, I think if EB4 follows suit very similar to what we've seen in, in EB3, uh, this will be the, the the number then most likely uh, for EB4 now uh, going into the summer and probably into the back half of, of Q4. Um, so again, in that August, September timeframe, will we see any movement in the EB4? Will it catch up? I, I think that's going to be a, a, a question um, that, you know, only time's going to, to tell. Uh, but when I dissect the bulletin and when we look at it, and, and I'll have a little bit more on this tomorrow, um, but India EB2 for final action, you know, 59 days of forward movement. Um, as for India EB2 and dates of filing, there was no movement. India EB3, final action and dates of filing, no movement. Uh, of course, EB1 in China and India continue to remain current. Um, but China for EB2 saw no movement this month. Does that mean that, that potentially we're starting to see some of that spillover slowdown um, based on kind of the first in line, the, the, the priority date? Um, so, you know, really interesting kind of ho-hum other than the 59 days of, uh, of forward movement for, um, for India and EB2 for, for final action dates. Uh, wanted to just ask you again, if you haven't already, to please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, uh, and make sure you click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we do post new content here to this channel. If you're looking for ways you can support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so through the Super Chat function here on YouTube. Or if you're watching this at a future date, uh, you can also do so through the uh, video description or via buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B Guy. Uh, any of the contributions that are received are invested back into the technology and platform that helps run these live streams and also produces the content on the H1B Guy channel. So thank you all for your support, for everyone who's taken time to, to jump in here this afternoon. Um, hey, Vonacom, how are you? Good afternoon, my friend. Good to see you today. Thanks for jumping in. Um, 
your question is how realistic to expect June 2014 priority date for final action for India EB2, EB3 in this fiscal year's bulletin? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, for the longest time, I was calculating around 3,800 days for you. Uh, but let's let's think about it in, in this manner, right? So we have March's bulletin and we have a May, okay, May 2013 um, for a priority date. So May 1st, 2013. And again, what are those the, those dates that are now current? You know, March 2022, um, we start to track what that means and look at those averages. That's around 3,200 and exactly it's 3,200 and, and uh, 26 days. So 3,226. Um, but I think that you can take that information and I would add a few. So I've been using about 3,500 because we've seen this 2,500 be pretty consistent now over the last couple of months. Um, so if I'm looking at, at June, you know, June 1st of 2014, and I look ahead to say, okay, where is my 3,500 is sort of a reference point for you. Um, you know, I'll start to calculate kind of months in advance, I think maybe towards the end of 2023. So, at the earliest, at the earliest, my guess would be October 1st of 2023 for final action. But if I'm going based on my calculations and kind of the closest to that 3,500 mark for you right now, um, I would probably say either December 2023 or January of 2024 as a reference point for you um, right now, Vonacom. Um, let me know what you think about that. Again, I'm just referring to EB2 here. Um, the EB3 and pause has me really kind of cautious on predicting out what I think the movement's going to look like, uh, because I do want to see uh, sometime, hopefully over the summer, we get off of the current um, EB2 dates that have been in a hold since the retrogression that occurred in November. Hey, sweet seller, how are you? Uh, the statement in March VB in quotes, please comment if it means retrogression. If sufficient demand materializes in EB5, corrective action may need to be taken in EB2. Yeah, that was, um, you know, kind of buried down there at the bottom, right? In the same uh, place where I mentioned um, uh, it was in section D, right? Um where it says, let me find it. I just had it up. Okay, so it says, I thought I saw it. Looking, looking right now. Yep, so here it is. Look, I mean, just to, to kind of reiterate what, what you said, if sufficient demand materialized in EB5, corrective action may need to be taken in, in EB2. Um, this was what I was alluding to a couple of months ago, uh, where I said that I, I was hearing some of the, the potential rumors. It's all about the spillover um, and how 
what is remaining, particularly in in that EB five, right? That that's that investor, um, you know, category that that we talk about a good bit. Then you've also got, you know, there's the 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 two separates, right? There's the the non regional and then the regional center. Um, in employment based, you only see China in that I five R five with a priority date. Uh, that's December of 2000 and December 15th, 2015. Everything else is current in those in in the EB5 category, specifically in final action dates where it says um, it's currently listed as U. So if you see the I5 and R5 on the March visa bulletin currently listed at U, when you see U, that means that it's being underutilized, right? Um, typically there are sufficient numbers, uh, remaining in that category, but when you start to look at the documentarily qualified aspect of EB five, again, they could be taking that into account. Um, I think the tell all though here, uh, sweet seller is China EB two for final action. Didn't move at all this month or in, uh, EB two for, for dates of filing. Um, so we've, we've seen, uh, you know, China kind of give us a little bit of a, 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 an insight as to what maybe we can expect coming up um, for India EB2. Uh, it, it, if retrogression happens in EB2, what does that mean? I, I think it would mean probably a jump back to 2012. Um, I don't know months specifically. I'd have to look at some of the numbers and calculations. Um, but thanks for the question. Hope I answered it. Uh, is this corrective action a retrogression or forward movement for EB2? So it would be a retrogression. Corrective action generally means, i.e., retrogression. That's their definition of it. Um, and then they will post it in the bulletin uh, down at the bottom once it occurs. You'll, they'll acknowledge retrogression of March um, for, for the specific categories. Um, again, Going back to the final action dates for I-5 and R-5 categories listed as unavailable for March. Um, so that means that there aren't cur currently any numbers available once I see something like that. Um, so we'll continue to, to, to monitor through that and what that means. Um, again, it kind of coincides with some of the rumors that, that have been out there about possible retrogression um in april or may uh, i've alluded to those a few times before already um but we've seen consistent movement in eb2 category roughly between 60 to 90 days um over the last few months so um thanks sweta for your question um good afternoon thanks for all the videos my pd is october 13th uh, when do you think that will be current final action and dates of filing? Um, again, if I'm kind of going based on that 3,500 calculation mark, uh, we're looking at, you said October 1st of 2013. Um, and I'm calculating again, somewhere around 3,500 days. Mm. Let's say that that would put you around April or May of 2023 as of right now. 
Um, again, if we do see some slight retrogression, I, I think that your calculation would move up to the 3,800 days that I've alluded to before. Uh, so if that were the case, that puts you closer to December or January of 20, December of 2023 or, or January of 2024. But again, as of right now, I think April or May, if we're going based on the 3,500-day calculation, again, over the last few months, it's been averaging 3,200 days. And that's 3,200 days of wait, right? Um, which is a lot of time. It's nine years plus right now. So thank you for your question, uh, Sweta. I hope I answered it. I believe I did. Yep, that's a repeat. Hey, Adrian, good to see you, my friend. Thanks for joining me again here this afternoon. Really nice to see you. Um, hi, H1B guy. In your opinion, how likely is it that there will be more than one lottery in 2022 and based on what? Um, yeah, so I've gone on record already stating that I think there'll be at least two lotteries uh, for the fiscal year 2023. Um, I'm basing that solely on two simple facts, which is, for the first electronic selection lottery, uh, which happened in fiscal year 2021, two selection periods were held. Uh, for the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2022, we are currently on the third selection that's been held. And I have um, predicted the possibility and likelihood of a fourth. I think we're going to hear something around that sometime in the next week or two. Um, just call that a hunch, whether that's right or not, will be a TBD to be determined. Uh, but I think to answer your question, there is, I, I don't want to guarantee anything, but I think a 99% chance that there will be at least two lotteries held for fiscal year 2023, an initial selection and most likely assessment selection that will be held sometime towards the end of July. Um, I also would say another factor around that is this. I think that you look at the application rate, 70% for the first selection period in fiscal year uh, 2022, and then 40% for the second lottery uh, that was held in July of 2021 for, for the lottery, which led to the third one. Um, so Adrian, I think it's a high probability that, that two lotteries will be held. Um, and that, again, is kind of the repercussion of going to a $10 non-refundable fee for employers, and they can submit uh, individuals into the electronic selection uh, portal to be randomly selected. Thanks for your question, Adrian. Um, just wanted to ask you again, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today on February 16th, 2022 at 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, wanted to also mention, if you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so through the Super Chat function here on YouTube. Or if you're watching this at a later date, there is information and links in the video description below um, or via buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B Guy. Sweet Seller asks, do you think EB2 corrective action would happen in April? Yeah, we've been talking about this for a while, you and I. Um, I think it kind of goes back to conversations that we had towards the end of the year. Um, I think it's possible. Uh, always come back to where there are 
rumors kind of surrounding it, there means that that means to me that there is a possibility that that, that could happen. Um, I think April is in play, but if I were to guess, probably more likely, I think what we're going to see, we'll see Mexico EB4 retrogress in April. And then I think we'll see possibly a, a continued stall uh, for India in EB2, of course. And then I think for dates of filing for India in EB2, I, I think we'll continue to see a stall there. Um and if there were to be a slowdown in final action for India EB2, if it moves maybe like, say, by 7 or 21 days, um, that tells me they're really kind of getting down to the numbers and looking at the number of documentarily qualified, looking at those applicants that are in play, uh, looking ahead at the numbers that have been processed. So um, uh, April, I, I give it, let's say, a 25% chance. But if you want me to go out and say, what about May? I'd say that's probably closer to a 50-50. Now, I would increase those odds if we do see retrogression for Mexico EB4. Why are all these things correlated? Well, it's all about the fiscal 2022 limits and the number usage. Okay. Hey, Avinash, how are you? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Nice to see you. Um, so I'm assuming you're asking about EB2 for October of 2017. Um, of course, uh, I'm sure you're, you're well aware you've got quite some time, my friend. Um, but just looking at your dates right now, uh, let's see, end of... think you're probably into early 2027 at this point uh if i'm looking at it and just being very honest if you want a good reference point for me um i think you're in may right now i'd say may of 2027 is your benchmark avanash um seems like quite a long time it's actually nine years and seven months um unless there is some sort of reform or unless we see USCIS increase their capabilities um, for and around the number usage. Uh, again, I think you're, you're looking at well into 2027. So May of 2027 is your benchmark as of right now. Okay. And I know a lot of you ask me these questions on um, my video content on YouTube and reach out to me directly. And I always say, I think it's a good reference point for you as of right now. This visa bulletin is so fluid, even though the numbers are counted out and infinite, it's about processing capabilities. It's about the documentarily qualified. It's about those that are in process from dates of filing and what's being accepted there versus final action. Um, I do think kind of back to the final action question that that we always talk about what's going to be accepted i think we'll see uscis move to final action dates now going forward for um the the month um with that being said it's uh it, it could really be up in the air um so we'll continue to monitor it of course i expect that is something that's gonna that'll come out maybe by the end of the week uh uscis should post that by by friday is what i believe Hey, um, Vinicom, I want to thank you so much for the super chat. 
Thank you for joining me today and your support and in investing in this platform. Um, I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure to help you and answer these questions that you have. Um, again, they are their opinions, right? I talk about this all the time. For those of you that have followed me for any length of time, uh, know that what I talk about here is just based on my experience as a, a very high level IT recruiter. Um, working in an agency environment for almost 18 years. Um, I am not an attorney. I do not provide legal advice. Everything is based on my own personal experience and an opinion for your entertainment and personal use only. Um, and I try to just be very honest with what I think and what I believe will happen. Um, when we talk about predictions, they're just estimated guesses, right? Um, this is definitely not something that's set in stone. I do really enjoy uh, working through these uh, questions for you and providing reference points. I know how important it is for you to plan and think ahead um, when, when you're looking for your future and you also are accounting for uh, family dependents and spouses that are, are responsible for you and the impact that that has on your documented dreamers. Um, so in any way, if I, if I'm able to help you or at least give you a better estimate, uh, I do really appreciate that opportunity to, to help all of you. If you have more questions or comments, please drop those in the chat. Um, I'll continue to answer these here, um, over the next 15 minutes or so. Um, Avinash had a follow-up question says, and also my expectation for more visa numbers to spill over from family visa 2023 to fiscal year 2023 to employment. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. I do. Um, I think that there is a, a good possibility that that, that could happen. Uh, but we have to go back to USCIS and their processing capabilities. Uh, we heard a couple of weeks ago their um, uh, emphasis on increasing their, their, their human capital, their talent pool. Uh, and trying to increase their processing capabilities. Uh, last year, the benchmark was set somewhere around 172,000 employment-based green cards that were approved. Um, <clears throat> so we will continue to see if, if they can meet that number this year. Um, but when there are 262,000 available and or 290,000 or whatever we're saying is available, what is realistically the processing capabilities of USCIS? Uh, so I think what you'll see is you're going to see this kind of continue back and forth. But one thing I have heard, though, Avinash, and I think it's very interesting. I don't really follow uh, the family visa bulletin a lot, the FB visa bulletin. I'm just not as familiar with the movement. I haven't tracked it, to be honest with you. I've been asked, but I just am not as familiar with it. Um from my understanding, there's been very little movement on the visa bulletin as well um, on the family side. So, again, the demand I know is up on the family side right now. So we'll have to see those worldwide limits, of course, are higher than they are on the employment based side. Um, but this would be interesting. We'll continue to track it. That would be, I believe, the third consecutive year that we've seen spillover. So, um Hey, Chandra, how are you? Thanks for joining this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Hi, my I-140 is approved but didn't receive hard copy. I'm on my sixth year of my H-1B. My attorney was saying without hard copy, cannot apply for extension. Any other options to apply for extensions without hard copy? Um, I believe so. Okay, so here's there's a couple things at play here for you. 
Um, employers sometimes want to play hardball with the I-140 unless you paid for it. If you paid for it, okay, and you can, if you paid for it, uh, you can legally request this via the um, uh, Information Act. Um, I've seen this done before successfully, so I would look into that. Uh, Chandra, do you have a digital copy at all? Um, I know sometimes employers will, will scan in the PDF or send it over, uh, but I would be looking for that. If not, I, I would actually advise you to get legal representation um, or even see if your employer can request uh, the previous approved I-140 um, based on the Information Act. I, I know that there are ways for you to go about doing that. Um, but yeah, a hard copy, I, I've, I've, a digital copy should be sufficient um, because you're really looking for, you know, the the, the employer of record and, and your name specifically on that I-140. Um, but again, if, if you have not paid for it, right, you, you've not paid for the fees, uh, the, the legal and fi filing fees associated, um, it could it could be possible that your employer may be paying a little bit of hardball. And um, I, I just, you know, I, I would work with an attorney. And if, if the attorney that you're currently not working with um, is representing you, but they're representing your employer, I would seek another uh, legal counsel that would represent and be a voice on, on your own behalf. Okay. Hey, Daniel, what's up, man? Um, my good friend, Daniel Batero from uh, Mastering College to Career. Uh, I'm going to be partnering with Daniel um, starting in March. Daniel is focusing on helping international uh, STEM students uh, land not only paid internships, but um, full-time job opportunities and uh, guiding them in sponsorship. Um, so I'm going to be working very closely with Daniel and helping do uh, education and training uh, with Mastering uh, College to Career. Um, if you're interested in information around that, please reach out to me. I'd love to share uh, some more information about that. But good to see you, Daniel. Thanks for jumping in today, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, RRH, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Howdy, H1B guy. Any comment on the USCIS broadcast? Is there a doctor in the house? The role of immigrant physicians in U.S. healthcare? Uh, yeah, I do have some opinions on this. Actually, I have several opinions on it. Um, but I'll start with my good friend, Dr. Raj Karnatak, um, who is an infectious disease doctor in Milwaukee. And unfortunately, Dr. Raj wasn't able to partake in the Day Without Immigrants protest. Uh, that I talked about earlier because he has obligations to his patients who are in critical care and critical need. Um, I think that we look at the number of physician shortages and nursing shortages going on. And other than homegrown, reskilled, or, um, you know, Id identifying U.S. based resources that are going through this, the role that immigrant physicians play in the U.S. healthcare system is humongous. Um, when we look at, and I've covered this numer numerous times over and over, um, specifically pieces on uh, uh, physicians in Rockford, um, as well as uh, some of the other data and other information that I've, I've talked about in the past um, that talks about by 2023, the physician shortage and how um, immigrant physicians are going to help us 
solve that problem, but specifically the impact that it has in rural America, where it is primarily immigrant physicians that are overseeing a, a very large mile radius um, in very small rural towns where there aren't people that are willing to live other than immigrants. And so my comment is this, um, immigrant physicians are a key component um, to our livelihood and to our ability to have the quality of life, not only for, um, you know, U.S. citizens, but also everyone that's here in this country. Um, I have been in support of um, a permanent residency, a permanent residency path for immigrant physicians that come to the U.S., um, I'm very interested to see what the America's Competes Act is going to do. Um, but at the end of the day, we need to have reform around not only immigrant physicians, but immigrant nurses as well. Uh, the shortage that's currently taking place um, is going to continue to grow. And you look at the forecasts um, that, that move into 2023 and what those shortages are going to look like, and they're, they're significant. And so... When I talk about how dire our situation is here from a high-skilled immigrant perspective and how archaic and restrictive um, our immigration laws continue to be, not only around high-skilled immigrants, but medical professionals as well, um, it's time for change. And I think that's one of the things that this platform has been willing to do is, is bring awareness um, to a lot of individuals who may be not aware of, of the situation and what it's like here in the U.S. The good news is we have time to fix it. And a lot of it comes back to the root cause. I've talked about this numerous times, the, the quota on country caps. Um, and here you see its impact on immigrant physicians. Uh, again, if you haven't, check out that interview that I did with my good friend, Dr. Raj Karnatak. Um, I also did an interview with Dr. Pranav Singh, who's no longer in the U.S., who's decided to return back to India, talking about the green card backlog uh, in the restrictive nature. Again, nine years, seven months, as we were calculating earlier. You're talking about wait times for those individuals in EB2. We're talking about doctors in the EB2 category. So great question, RRH. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Hey, Meet Kuro, how are you? Thanks for the timely updates. What can be expected from the upcoming bulletins for EB2 and EB3 final action dates? Yeah, we've been talking about this a good bit. Um, you know, sweet seller in the chat, you know, we've, we've asked and talked about the possibility of retrogression um, in EB2. We've been alluding to that now for a couple of months. Uh, the movement that continued started to make me rethink some of those comments and some of the rumors that I was hearing, but now we see corrective action referred to specifically with EB2 um, referenced. So here's what I think. And I'll just kind of go back, track a little bit to my point that, that I made earlier, which is I think if we see retrogression for Mexico and EB4, then in May, there is a high probability that we could see retrogression for India and EB2. I think EB3 as a whole is frozen until the end of the year. So I don't think we're going to see any movement in EB3 uh, potentially until August or September or maybe even October, uh, uh, the first month of Q1 for fiscal year 2023. Um, so I think that there is a high probability 
Um, that next month, if we start to see a slowdown in India EB2, and what I mean by slowdown is anywhere between seven days to 30 days of forward movement, um, then that could be a little bit of foreshadowing. I will tell you that the Department of State is not putting in a comment about corrective action if they're not already running their calculations and forecasting out what that possibly could mean for EB2. I uh, just wanted to ask you again, if you haven't already, to please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, uh, click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel. Uh, just wanted to thank everyone who has taken the time to uh, drop a question or comment um, here in the chat today. I really appreciate your support. Um, thanks to Vonicom again for the super chat. If you're looking for ways that you can support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so via the super chat function on YouTube. Or if you're watching or listening to this at a future date, uh, you can do so through um, buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B Guy. As I always mention, um, any uh, contributions made to the platform are reinvested back into the technology that we have here. Um, some of that is set up, as you can see, with the changes in my my light, my lighting and uh, my microphone. Unfortunately, I do notice that uh, the internet keeps stalling here a little bit, even though I'm running at absolute full capacity. Um, amazing how streaming technology works and just right here at our fingertips. Um, but I wanted to do like a quick recap here since I don't see any new questions or comments. If there are any others, drop those in the chat and I'll get to those before we wrap up here today. Um, but earlier in the broadcast, I did cover a day without immigrants, and I wanted to just acknowledge the grassroots effort and social media movement that led to protests on uh, the Capitol in D.C., uh, as well as the, the larger rallies that were held, uh, San Francisco, Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta. Uh, again, what's the common theme? Those are areas with large immigrant populations. Um, so kudos to those folks that organized the Day Without Immigrants and a collaboration between the documented and undocumented, um, all of whose status is uncertain and are fighting for immigration reform and a similar cause. Um, and of course, we spent most of the day chatting around the visa bulletin. Look for tomorrow, the H-1B guy grades, um, the March 2022 visa bulletin versus the actual bulletin uh, that was released. but. We saw 59 days of forward movement in India EB2. Uh, we saw significant retrogression for El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and EB4, both in final action and dates of filing. Um, that was based on a mention in February's bulletin about possible corrective action uh, for EB4, both in Mexico and El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. Um, now we see mention of demand in EB-5 and it potentially creating a corrective action need for EB-2. Um, so we've been talking about that a good bit. If we go back to the end of 2021 and, and kind of heading into the beginning of the year, um, refer to the possibility of there being some retrogression in EB-2. Uh, but we have con continued to see some, some pretty consistent forward movement. Um, in, in EB2, specifically in final action dates. Um, so we'll continue to monitor uh, the situation very closely. Um, I just really appreciate everyone who's taken time to, to jump in here today. Again, Avonacom, Sweet Seller, uh, Sweta, thank you. Um, Adrian, as always, thanks for joining the live stream here. Um, Avinash, thank you very much. 
Uh, Chandra, thank you. My good friend Daniel, thank you. RRH, thank you. And and Meet Kura, thank you guys for um, for jumping in and and dropping your questions and comments here um, in the chat. Uh, so over the next week, look for the H1B guy grades. Of course, the H1B guy news. Um, we're going to take a bit of a pause for next week. You may not see any content produced on this platform um, over the so, over President's Day week, um, and then we'll get back to it uh, beginning in uh, uh, March. Of course, March first is the H1B uh, lottery release. Um, as well as we'll be working on the H1B guy forecast, the April 2022 Visa Bulletin. Um, so we've got a good variety of content planned here. And uh, just wanted to thank everyone who, who joined me here this afternoon. Um, if you haven't had a chance, check out the h1bguy.com. There is a library of, of content um, that is out there. Uh, blogs and videos that I've produced. There's a lot of data and analytics uh, so if you haven't checked that out, please check out the h1bguy.com. Um, Bruce jumped in with the last question. Hey, I couldn't find an employer up for sponsorship. Can I still apply for lottery? Yeah, you have literally, Bruce, I'd say you probably have a couple of weeks um, to, to, to make that happen. Um, that's the biggest challenge. And one of the biggest questions that I'm getting is, can I help you do that? Um, unfortunately, right now, I don't have the, the the capabilities of facilitating sponsorship, but I am working on a solution I hope to have ready uh, before this time next year because so many of you have asked me for help, and I really want to help you bridge that gap. Um, so I'm working on that, Bruce. Thanks for reaching out to me. Um, really appreciate it. Um, just wanted to remind everyone that today's live stream was brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada. The ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration or a failed lottery pickup, uh, make sure you have a plan B and Syndesis and Path to Canada are your answers. And they will help you navigate the process to find out if you qualify. Please be sure to use the link in the video description below. And it's never too early to mention it, but... Uh, the first week of April, April 8th, actually, um, that'll be, it's the second Friday in April, but the first full week in April, I'm going to have um, my good friend Mark Pavlavopoulos on from Synthesis and Path of Canada, as well as Daniel Mandelbaum, a Canadian immigration attorney. And we're going to talk about those of you who maybe weren't picked up in the lottery or weren't sponsored and how Canada can be an ideal plan B for you. Uh, so really just appreciate Syndesis and Path to Canada's continued sponsorship. And again, that live stream uh, is going to be April the 8th. And look out for more information on that. And also by my good friend Carl Balsmeyer at perm-ads.com. The industry leader providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your costs and overhead associated with PERM labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. Well, I just wanted to ask you again one last time, like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications. If you're listening to the H1B Guy podcast, leave us a rating. Love to hear what you think. If you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to watch my video or listen to my content. I really appreciate your support. I'm Robert. 
I'm the H-1B guy, your global source for all things H-1B.